0: Are entering the Freedom Hut.
1: The French are here. Trump has had his first state visit with Emmanuel Macron. Plus, will the Iran nuclear deal survive? Will North Korea denuclearize? And is Ronnie Jackson going to stay in the running for VA secretary? That and a whole lot more coming up.
0: This this is the Buck Sexton Show. Where the mission, mission is to decode what really matters <laughs> with actionable intelligence. One small turning. Make no mistake. America. Ready. You're a great American again. The Buck Sexton Show begins. Former CIA analyst. Former member of the NYPD. Buck Sexton. It is Buck Sexton. Now.
2: People know my views on the Iran deal. It was a terrible deal. It should have never, ever been made. We could have made a good deal or a reasonable deal. The Iran deal is a terrible deal. We paid $150 billion. We gave $1.8 billion in cash. That's actual cash. Uh, barrels of cash. It's insane. It's ridiculous. It should have never been made. But we will be talking about it.
1: Welcome to the Buck Sexton Show, everyone. Thank you so much for being here. Honor, privilege, and honor. Pleasure, as always, uh, so you, you had the, the big visit today, a lot of pomp and circumstance I, I mean there was there was fife playing. I think there were fifes, perhaps they were piccolos. they look like fifes to me though. I'm a guy who knows his woodwinds uh, and they or, or not, as the case may be. Uh, you know the French were here, a lot of people talking about the debt of honor to uh, general Lafayette, which is a real thing. The Marquis de Lafayette. Uh, So the French are our buddies. Sometimes we have uh, little disagreements with them. But for the most part, uh, they were really our first major ally. So there's that gave us the Statue of Liberty, which was nice of them and a whole bunch of other stuff. French fries among my favorite things on among my favorite thing on on planet Earth. I never called them freedom fries. You know, I didn't turn my back on France even during that period. Like the French fries, guys, we all need to get a grip. So uh, you had some important policy discussions going on today with uh, Trump and uh, Macron, or should we, Should we? do we Americanize it, do we go Macron, you know what I mean, you know, because there's also different ways you can Americanize it, right, you can do southern like, you know, Macron, or you could do uh, more like midwestern like Macron, you know, or New York or Macron, hey Macron, hey Macron, or that's New York or Philly, hey Macron, what are you talking about, the the Iran nuke deal, nuke, nuke for who, for what, uh so there there's a lot of stuff going on here. It, you got the Trump administration going to decertify or not on the Iran nuke deal. Let, let's start with Iran and then I'll get to North Korea. Nor- both of these today a lot of headlines, a lot of talk. Uh, and I, and I sometimes feel like we get drawn into these conversations about foreign policy. And I'm a I feel like anyone who refers themselves as a such and such nerd is really engaged in a humble brag, but so I won't say I'm a foreign policy nerd. I'll just say I like foreign policy. I worked in it, and I find it very interesting. That all said, unless we're talking about a war or a major trade issue, most foreign policy is an intellectual exercise. And the people you're listening to, see, I'm just telling you the truth here because I'm Buck and I cannot, I cannot tell a lie. Uh, most foreign policy analysis is interesting. Maybe you learned some stuff, but does it end up being correct or not? People don't really pay attention. A lot of people go on TV that have been wrong on foreign policy, wrong, wrong, wrong all along. That's really their calling card. There are some folks that even have had the ear of previous administrations on foreign policy. And I'm just like, you don't want to listen to that guy or gal. Always wrong. I think you can put John Kerry in that category, but. It's actually useful, though, because once you establish someone so consistently wrong on foreign policy, you're like, well, I just know that whatever he's saying is what I don't want to do. Uh, And on, on Iran and North Korea, we're going to get into some of this. So it is interesting. It does affect us. If we had to take military action against North Korea, that's obviously very scary and could have big ramifications beyond that, could spook the markets a whole lot. Who knows? I don't think we're heading in that direction right now. That's possible. The Iran deal is, well... When you look at it beyond just the nuclear issue with Iran and see it as trying to constrain Iranian aggression, now we're talking about an expansionism and really the uh, revival of a, or you could say the creation of, a Shia crescent of power. One of the things that's happening right now in the Middle East is you have a Sunni-Shia civil war that's playing out in a whole bunch of different countries and it's not thought of in that way because usually it's within the context of a nation, of a national struggle, right? So in Syria, we think of the Syrian civil war. In Yemen, we think of the, you know, Yemeni civil war or or whatever we're we're calling some of these struggles now. You know, in Iraq, we've got the insurgency and we But when you really peel back the layers and look at what's going on, guess what one of the primary dividing lines is between Assad and his side and the insurgents and jihadists and all the rest on the other side. Assad is Shia. He's Shia Alawite. but And the rest of the country that is opposed to him are Sunni Muslims. When you look at what's going on in Iraq, Sunni-Shia civil war is is one of the very scary things that we're trying to prevent from happening. But the al-Qaeda jihadists or the ISIS jihadists uh, are are Sunnis and the militias that fight against them are Shia so that's always bubbling beneath the surface same thing in Yemen you're getting my point right you're catching my drift plus there's a Sunni Shia problem in Saudi Arabia and then on top of all that you have the major Saudi states which is really South I'm sorry major Sunni states which is Saudi Arabia and it's uh and its Gulf allies against Iran. That's now the great Mideast east power struggle that's going on. And now we have interest in this primarily for security reasons. 20 or 30 years ago, we would have been like, whoa, we, we gotta worry about this because of the Straits of Hormuz. Something like, uh, I think even 10 years ago, you might have had 25 or 30% of the world's oil supply moving through the Straits of Hormuz. One of the concerns was that the Iranians with pretty straight with with easy uh, missile capacity could just start shutting it down and blowing up oil tankers. These these are the the theories and the the threats that people have had for a long time. Well, thanks to domestic American energy production, the shale oil revolution, which has been probably the single greatest foreign policy windfall that we've had in this country in the post 9-11 era, we're a whole lot less. On edge about what goes on in the Middle East from an energy perspective, because we're like, you know what? We're actually an energy superpower, so we're we're trending in the right direction on that one. Price of gas is very low. It also means those countries like Iran have a whole lot less cash to throw around for fancy planes and very big missiles that go boom. Uh, so these are all the problems that we have to look at right now in the Middle East. But it's the it's a lens that is shifting over time. It's not quite what it was. Uh, In the uh, early days, say, of of the first Bush or the uh, second President Bush, but his first administration. Trump's looking at the Iran deal and he's looking at it in, in that context. He sees this as a series
2: of interrelated
1: problems going on in the
2: Middle East it just seems that no matter where you go especially in the middle east iran is behind it the iran deal is a disaster they're testing missiles and what is that all about you look at the ballistic missiles that they're going and testing Uh, what kind of a deal is it where you're allowed to test missiles all over the place uh, what kind of a deal is it when you don't talk about Yemen and you don't talk about all of the other problems that we have with respect to Iran, especially uh, look at what they're doing in Iraq? And I know John Kerry made the statement that he didn't want to discuss other things while he was making the deal. Despite all of the money that we gave them, he didn't want to discuss it because it was too complicated. That's not the way to do it because it was too complicated. So we made this terrible deal, but we'll be discussing it.
1: Big problems that not just Trump, but all those of us who have been, including myself, opposed to the Iran deal are it doesn't touch conventional missiles, which are quite a big problem. If their missile program gets to a very advanced level, it means that were they to get breakout nuclear capability, they can marry those two programs together. And all of a sudden now you got big issues. Plus, the Iranians can export their increasingly advanced conventional missile technology to a whole bunch of bad actors, including its proxies that could come after us in Iraq, but also its proxies that have currently encircled the uh, state of Israel. However, if you look at a map right now, the Middle East, if you look at Israel, you have Hezbollah, an Iranian proxy to the north of Israel and Lebanon with missiles pointed at Israel. Assad, a client regime of the Iranians with I don't know if they're pointing their missiles at Israel right now, if they know what's good for them. But, you know, they are obviously hostile towards the Israeli state. And then in Gaza, Hamas, which despite being a Sunni Muslim entity, is also a client, although there's been some uh, bad blood. I mean, the, you know, they're fighting about the, the Shia Iranians and the Sunni uh, members of Hamas in Gaza. They've got some problems, but the the one thing that unites them, and I don't say this. In a, in a glib fashion, it's really true, is their hatred of, of Jews and Israel, right? That's what keeps Hamas and Iran, the state of Iran, willing to work together because they, they, they hate Israel more than anything else. Uh, so that's why we have to worry about their conventional nuclear, I'm sorry, conventional missile technologies. Uh, there's also a lack of inspections of some of their military facilities, which the Iranians have said that's a no-go. But guess what? If they have military facilities that we can't see, well... How do we know what they're doing? It's pretty straightforward. And then finally, the sunsetting of this at the end of the current deal framework, Iran can basically say, "Okay, we're out." You know, now we can do what we want, and they will be richer and better placed, and have an economy that is much more enmeshed with the regional and global economy at that point, which means that there are more ways they can hurt us, and also hurting them will have greater ramifications. If there was a need, let's say, to go in there and strike, which is still something that we could see happening at some point. Uh, Still something that could be going on. I'm I'm hoping that it doesn't. I don't want there to be. I think it would be a mistake unless we were in an absolutely last resort extreme situation. I think a regime change in Iran is a nightmare in the making if that became U.S. policy. But. I can't say it's not possible. We know it is. So the, but those are the big problems they have with the deal. And Trump obviously also has a certain hostility to the Iranian regime which is is understandable.
2: We've really had some substantive talks on Iran maybe more than anything else. And we're uh, looking forward to doing something, but it has to be done and it has to be done strongly and they've very much been butchers, and we can't allow that to happen. And I think our meeting, our our one-on-one went very, very well. I hope you feel the same way.
1: He's speaking of Macron there. We mentioned him in the beginning. I feel like we should give the the, uh, president of France uh, a little bit more attention here in this opening segment. He is the reason for this uh, fancy state visit that is going on with all the pomp and circumstance. And uh, he... He had some interesting comments, actually, on the Middle East. You know, he's—it's interesting. The way it's talked about is is Macron is respected by Trump. Macron, he's got a business background. I think he was an iBanker, investment banker, uh, whereas Merkel is like, Donald, why don't you return my phone calls? I thought we had something special. I thought we'd be allies in the, you know, the things that we're working on. And he's like, Angela, sorry. they got got no time for you he's not a fan of merkel we all know this and she's supposed to be the one really leading the eu block of nations uh whereas macron he speaks trump's language a little bit more not french but he speaks he speaks uh in a way that trump i think can 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 get behind some of it and and here's what he said about the mid-east because i want to get his perspective on this too
3: iran deal is an important issue we will discuss about that but we have to take it as a part of a broader picture, sure. which is security in the overall region. And we have a certain situation. We have upcoming relations in, um, in Iraq. We have the stability to preserve for our allies in the region. And what we want to do is to contain the Iranian presence in the region. And JCPOA is part of this broad, broader picture.
1: Part of a broader picture. They want to negotiate if we don't negotiate through this, if we don't get some kind of an agreement with our allies, notably France and Germany, on how to deal with the Joint Comprehensive Plan of Action. That's what the JCPOA is, which is the fancy foreign policy speak for the Iran deal. Then it uh, doesn't go forward. The Iranians are talking a lot of trash of what they're going to do if we don't keep the deal as is in its totality. Well, what does that mean? I got a hint from Trump on that. coming back. And then also north korea trump said that uh, kim jong-un had been honorable and i know that they were all they're all over that in the media but let's put that in context let's look at what he actually said and what he meant and what the purpose of the statement was we'll do all that and more coming right up
2: their nuclear program. The federal... We'll find out. You'll find out about that. It won't be so easy for them to restart. You... They're not going to be restarting anything. They restart it. They're going to have big problems, bigger than they've ever had before. And you can mark it down. They restart their nuclear program. They will have bigger problems than they have ever had before. Thank you very much.
1: Trump not messing around there, saying, look, if the Iranians decide to get cute and try to play games with the uh, nuclear program, there's gonna be uh it's gonna be hell to pay it's gonna be a big as you were saying a big problem uh, and he's trying to be as clear as he can on that um i i I wonder here how this is going to go because I think that there's enough of a there's an understanding among those of us who who see what Trump's options are here that he's gonna get a ton of heat from the left if he actually does anything to this deal and it's not it's not really about iran that's what's so frustrating about it why you all know the answer to this why will the left scream bloody murder if trump and the democrats and the media and all the rest of trump does anything that throws the uh as they call it the jcpoa the iran deal off course oh i know you know the answer Because it was Obama's only foreign policy legacy item. Not only is it Obama's only legacy item, he mortgaged the rest of our Mideast policy in order to get the deal. In fact, there's a lot of evidence and reason to suggest that the Obama administration took a particularly delicate approach in Syria because, and this is crazy, but get ready for it. They didn't want to upset our Iranian counterparts in the nuclear deal negotiations. Think about that. I mean, they, this is the Iranian state that for many of you listening I know who served in Iraq, you know exactly where I'm going to go with this. is the Iranian government that has the IRGC and the Kuds Force of the IRGC and Qasem Soleimani uh, running it and making sure that there are EFPs flown across Iran into Iraq to blow up our armored vehicles and kill our guys in Iraq as they're trying to stabilize that country. And this is an Iranian regime that has blood of American soldiers on its hands in recent years. And Obama didn't want to upset them because he wanted to get a nuclear deal. Didn't want to upset them in Syria. As Syria's got 500,000 people that die in the, uh, over the course of that conflict. Most of them... While Obama was president here, and they just didn't want to touch it, so that's you have to remember that a lot of the opposition. Sure, it's out of blind hatred of Trump, right? Anything Trump does is terrible, right? Trump could find Trump could show up tomorrow and be like, "Hey, my secret program to cure cancer is work." And they'd say,
2: "Oh, look at him waste money. He's terrible." Uh,
1: but on the Iran deal, they're going to see this. The left, the Democrat media, will see this as erasing Obama's foreign policy legacy. He's holding the
0: line for America. Buck Sexton is back.
2: We're having very uh, good discussions. Uh, Kim Jong-un, was, uh, he really has been uh, very open and I think very honorable from everything we're seeing. Now, a lot of promises have been made by North Korea over the years. But uh, they've never been in this position. We have been very, very tough on maximum pressure. We have been very tough on, uh, as you know, trade. We've been very, very tough at the border. Sanctions have been the toughest we've ever imposed on any country. It's not going to be fair and reasonable and good. Uh, I will, unlike past administrations, I will leave the table. But I think we have a chance of doing something very special with respect to North Korea. You know what the media took from all that?
1: I saw it today. There there was a lot of attention on this. Trump says Kim Jong-un is honorable. Oh, how could he? How could he be so thoughtless, so cruel, so unfeeling? Look, no one thinks. I mean, I, I mean, literally no one in this country thinks that Kim Jong-un is an honorable guy in terms of the totality of what he's doing and done as the leader of North Korea. Yeah, it's it's going to be tough to make the case someone's honorable when they have their half-brother assassinated in an airport in Malaysia using VX. Yes, that's going to be a tough one, right? Or if you're going to have rivals at the upper reaches of the North Korean military executed by tying them to anti-aircraft guns. that That's also, you know, people are aware of these things. Yes, North Korea is a massive concentration camp where some are treated slightly better than others, but everyone's, everyone's in the camp in one way or another. Trump wasn't saying Kim Jong-un's a great guy, okay? He's not pulling a Dennis Rodman here. I remember when that happened. Uh, what he's saying is, so far, Kim Jong-un has kept to what he said he would do. The the big news here, after all this, was that the North Koreans have agreed, in at least in, in theory, to denuclearization. Here, Trump spoke about this. On North Korea, you said you believe in complete denuclearization.
2: What does that mean exactly? It means they get rid of their nukes. Very simple. They get rid of their nukes, and nobody else would say it. It would be very easy for me to make a simple deal and claim victory. I don't want to do that. I want them to get rid of their nukes. Pretty straightforward.
0: They
1: get rid of their nukes, right? That's, that's what denuclearize means. They've got to give up the program. I don't think North Korea is ever going to do that. But we've got to try. Because we have set up a two-track future for ourselves here, whereby you have either impending military action at some point in the future from the U.S., maybe some allies against North Korea to destroy their program. Who knows where that's going to go? Or this, an aggressive diplomatic approach, which is what's going on here. On the point about Trump saying he's been honorable, and I think that it, it didn't last long. Right? they pushed this, oh my gosh, Trump said he's honorable, so terrible. I saw it, it was I was somewhere today I mean like i'll just come I'll just come clean and tell you I was getting my hair cut, and they had MSNBC on, so I was seeing this <gasps> oh my gosh, Trump said the dictator of North Korea is being honorable. Good heavens yeah he he didn't mean like he's a good guy. what he's saying is so far he's keeping his word in this whole thing. It reminds me also of how the media responds whenever Trump meets with Putin or there's anything relating to Russia. They're like, why didn't he tell Putin what a big, ugly, mean bully he is? Because he's the head of state with uh, a lot of nuclear weapons and it's an important country and we don't get to just pretend like Russia's not there and doesn't matter at all. And spitting in the face of a Russian premier is just... First of all, it's not what an American president should do, and also it's it's not helpful. And first and foremost, the president's trying to get good outcomes. See, that's where there's a big disconnect with a lot of what the media thinks about all this stuff. You and I sit here and we're like, look, what's Trump accomplishing? What's he doing? Yeah, there's a part of this is narrative, the narrative fight, but also he accomplishes a lot there. He accomplishes a lot within the, the, uh, the narrative struggle with the media. But in, I mean, on the policy side of things, What's he giving us? What is he doing? What's he what has he done for us lately? That's so how I evaluate this. So his tone about Putin or his words about Kim Jong-un is way less important to me than the outcome of these negotiations, which is what he's trying to do. That's why he says honorable. Keep in mind, the same media folks today who are like, Oh my gosh, he called them honorable were the ones who were saying, nuclear war is gonna come when Trump said this.
2: Little rocket
1: man. I love that, man.
2: Little Rocket there Man. There
1: we go. Little Rocket Man. Remember that?
2: <gasps> you can go
1: back and see it. That's why I, one of the reasons I love Twitter is for journalists. It gets them on the record with their, oh, my gosh, I'm hysterical. I'm so freaked out. And then later on when they switch sides, you're like, wait a second. So when Trump was saying mean things about Kim Jong-un, which was just a few months ago with with, with Little Rocket Man and all the rest of it. and Trump is so good with the nicknames, by the way. He really is. I think that I'm pretty good with nicknames. Like I've given a fair amount of my friends nicknames that have stuck. I've even given a family member or two nicknames that have now just become the way that we refer. Like, I'm pretty good with the nicknames. Uh, But Trump is better. I'm not, you know, he he is the straight up master of the Shaolin Temple, and I'm like I'm like a mid level monk, you know. I mean, I can do some cool stuff, but he can do like the one inch punch and the death touch and all that stuff. Yeah, exactly.
0: Sweep the leg. (laughs)
1: <laughs> thank you john i didn't even plan that that was perfect that's right sweep the leg trump knows he knows what's up so uh where where was i north korea um i i think that uh, he's doing he, he's already gotten further with this just getting the north korean leader to say that they'll denuclearize at this point is further along than i think a lot of trump's detractors would have said he would get and there is a panic it's a quiet panic right now among the media elites, among the, the swampy types, uh, the, the deep staters who still remain within the federal government and certainly over at CNN, you know, over at CNN, MSNBC, at places they don't talk about at cocktail parties. They're feeling a little, you know, a little uneasy because what happens? I mean, just as a, as a little fun thought experiment, folks. What happens if Trump succeeds and we get to the point where there are opening verifiable steps to North Korea? You know, what happens if if North Korea says, you know what, no more testing and we'll let you inspect our facilities and we'll continue. I mean, even just getting to that level. The the media, they won't know what to do with themselves. Because we've been told all along. We have been told all along that Trump is on foreign policy more than any other issue, out of his element, doesn't get it, doesn't understand. He's not, even though, it's isn't is funny, he's not some fancy type, the media always tells us. He's not some, you know, educated Harvard man. Well, he went to Wharton, which is actually arguably the best business school in the world, and he's a billionaire, and he's from New York City, but somehow, you know, they, they just, oh, he's, it's like we... It's like we took uh, someone who was a crossing guard before. No offense to crossing guards, necessary, got to keep the kids safe, but, and elevated that person to being the president. They're like, oh, no experience whatsoever. Can't do anything at all. Well, seems to me like he's getting further along this process than anybody would have thought at this point in time. But look, he, he understands. And so I, I just wanted to put that out there for you. Just think about their reaction. I mean, I promise you, on the day if the day comes and I think it's a less than 5050 shot I'm I'm not getting ahead of myself here look Trump says we got to keep maximum pressure on.
2: We are grateful for France's key partnership in our campaign of maximum pressure on the North Korean regime. as you know I will soon be meeting with Kim jong-un as we seek a future of peace, Harmony and security for the whole Korean Peninsula and in fact for the whole world However in pursuit of peace, we will not repeat the mistakes of past administrations the campaign of maximum pressure will continue And I I just want to be very clear
1: here he understands that this is Still a long shot. He understands that there's plenty of ways that Kim Jong-un may cheat, may break his word. This whole thing could fall by the wayside. That all said, I think there's also recognition that if he manages to do this, the media will be beside themselves. They are, and it's another way of saying they're rooting against the end to the greatest nuclear threat the world faces right now. Don't forget that a lot of these big name journalists, a lot of these TV platform, big J journalist guys are out there uh, or or the print ones, the Washington Post, New York Times. And they are hoping that Trump fails in denuclearizing the single most ferocious totalitarianism on the planet. That is the most aggressive military state in the world. They're rooting against him. They won't say it, but I'm telling you they are. And if the day comes when Trump is successful. And the first steps are taken in this in this program. And he gets further along than any previous administration has ever in the era of a nuclear North Korea. If he gets there, you know what they're going to run on CNN all day? Stormy Daniels. Doesn't matter if there's no new news. You'll see a lot of Stormy Daniels photos over there. That's they already have it. They they could run it like it's B-roll, like it's in the background. They're just going to yeah. Hey, yeah, yeah. Trump, Trump signed that historic agreement to denuclearize North Korea. Let's put some stormy Daniels up there. They are utterly and completely feckless. Feckless. I just want to get that on the record now. So when it happens, we can go back and play it. Roll tape, Buck, roll tape. You know, we go back and play it. I see it coming. I know, I know how they operate on the other side. Ronnie Jackson. I don't know much about Ronnie Jackson. I'll be honest with you. But... Looks like he's in some uh, rough waters right now. I want to get into, I want to get into this uh, a little bit coming up here, and, and then I, I have some follow up for you on the Toronto attack yesterday. It looks like it wasn't terrorism, uh, which a lot of us initially thought. It, I thought it was. I thought it was likely terrorism. I said likely the Islamic State. But remember how I went into that whole discussion about the guy's name and background? That there were some clues. There were some hints. So I want to deconstruct. Our, anal- our initial analysis and reactions here in the Freedom Hut to the attack, which killed 10 people, the worst mass killing of its kind in, in Canada in a long time. I forget how many years. Uh, I'll break down some, uh, we'll, we'll do some analysis of that um, in the next hour. And then I've just got a lot more show than ever going to fit in today. Oh, and uh, something that I, I know you're going to want to hear too, but we'll probably say this for the third hour, the case of Alfie Evans, this 23 uh, month old baby boy in the UK and the, just atrocious actions of a hospital there, and, and a judge, and the UK National Health Service bureaucracy. They're saying, "Sorry, he's just the kid's got the kid's going to die." We're, we're not only will we not help him; no one else, including the Pope. I kid you not—the Pope himself—not allowed to do anything to help this 23-month-old boy. It's happening right now in the UK. It is a vision of what is coming to this country if the, you know, if the Obamaites and the and the. Sandernistas get their way. So, remember, we'll get to that in the third hour. You will definitely want to hear that. So stay with me.
2: So are are you saying, Mr. President, that you will stand behind him? Oh, I would definitely stand behind him. He's a fine man. I'll always stand behind him. I'd let it be his choice. Uh, But he's a man who has just been an extraordinary person his family extraordinary success great doctor great everything and he has to listen to the abuse that he has to I wouldn't if I were him actually in many ways I'd love to be him but the fact is I wouldn't do it I wouldn't do it what does he need it for to be abused by a bunch of politicians that aren't thinking nicely about our country I really don't think Personally, he should do it, but it's totally his. I would stand behind him. Totally his decision.
1: So, Ronnie Jackson's Trump's nominee for Veterans Secretary, Veterans Affairs Secretary at right, VA. And there's been some reports out there that, and I think at this point, right, producer Mike, unverified. It's we don't know, right? We just allegations. We we don't. It's just out there. It's being reported by news sources that. Uh, what is he? He's a rear. Is he rear admiral? I think is his rank. Rear Admiral Jackson is uh, a Navy man. Uh, also, obviously, an M.D. and has been a physician to numerous presidents and was very well respected in that role. But now he's going to be associated with the Trump administration. So all of a sudden now the long knives come out, so to speak. Right now, they want to tear this guy down. The press is going after him. And they're saying that Ronnie Jackson is. uh you know, he's, uh, given a whole number of, um, he's given a whole number of he's uh, given a whole number of illicit prescriptions out or something improper dispensing. I forget what the specific chart is basically like giving out prescription drugs he's not supposed to, which I mean, he's a doctor. So I, you know, I'm assuming he, who knows what that even really what they even mean by that drinking on the job. I mean, we all know what that means. I don't know if he did it or not, but that's what the LA and then hostile work environment stuff, which whenever someone and that that's flimsy i can tell you this having been through some of these discussions and actually been around some internal investigations about hostile work stuff whenever someone says that someone's created a hostile work environment uh if if it's legit there's usually a story attached to it right so there's hostile work environment where you just you oh this guy created a hostile work environment and then it'll come out that you know he, he makes like occasionally inappropriate knock knock jokes or something and you're like, "Oh, I don't think that that should derail this person's career if it's a real hostile work environment though you'll you'll hear yeah, it's a hostile work environment uh, occasionally this person gets angry and like throws reasonably heavy objects at members of the staff and you're like, oh, hostile work environment right I mean so, so usually the story is attached to it right away if it's bad. I'm not saying always, I'm just saying that in my experience." You don't have to guess at whether or not it's it's hostile, if it really is, because people know and and they want to they want it to be talked about and they want it to be known. Uh, so we'll have to see. But, you know, I, I withhold judgment on this, too, because I, I agree with what Trump said. I would never people. Sometimes some of you are way too kind. You, you'll you write me occasionally. A few of you have a lot of you are like, Buck. please. We know you're not going to do that. Would you ever run for office? The answer is no. No interest. Never want to do it. Uh, doesn't matter What position I were in, I just don't want to do it. I have no interest in ever doing it, won't do it. And and I feel badly saying that, though, because it's just in response to, I don't want to ruin my life. I like my life. And I don't need people trying to, including lying about me and everything else, to try to tear me down. And it's tough to know what's just the media doing a hit job on somebody with whether it's Ronnie Jackson or Scott Pruitt, another person who's right in the sights of the media right now. And when someone's actually, you know, a Harriet Myers in the making, somebody who's really not the right choice, not up to the task. I don't know with Ronnie Jackson. I don't know if what they said about him is true. But I do know the media is a bunch of smear merchants and they destroy people. So got to keep that in mind. we are talking about the uh, Toronto attack. An update to that coming up.
0: Buck Sexton. Mission decoding the news. And disseminating information with actionable intelligence. One more. Burning. Make no mistake. America.
2: ready. You're a great America again.
0: This is the Buck Sexton Show.
2: Former CIA analyst.
0: Former member of the NYPD. Buck Sexton.
1: It is Buck Sexton. Now.
0: Uh, we have all uh, watched in horror in the aftermath of
3: attacks on innocent cities in other cities around the world. It is something for which our police uh, and our city staff and all of the other first-line responders here in Toronto have prepared, but it's not a moment that you ever believe will happen in the city that we all call home. Yesterday, as we now know, 10 people were killed and 15 injured in a horrific and deliberate attack near Young and
0: Finch in the north part of our city.
1: Welcome back to the Buck Sexton Show. That was uh, John Tory, the mayor of toronto uh and um and uh we we know a little bit more about this attacker now Uh, it was not it doesn't seem to be jihadism because from what we know the guy's not even uh, a muslim which one would have to be as a precondition for being a jihadist as we know vast majority of muslims aren't jihadists, but to be a jihadist you have to be a muslim as i mentioned yesterday his name is uh, armenian so and armenia is a 90 per, 92 93% christian country so very you'd un- be very unusual to have an arm an armenian name i mean maybe you know his mom could have been there's all these different ways you could look at it but also you could have had someone and this is important for future reference whenever you see one of these terrorist attacks is people do this whole thing oh are you assuming because somebody's uh, Muslim, and they're involved in an act like this, and this guy doesn't seem to be Muslim, but you assume that now it's jihadism. Well, actually, even if they're not from a, par, a part of the world that you think of as Islamic, if they're not Middle Eastern, there have been Hispanic jihadists, there are Caucasian jihadists, there, there are people from all different parts. Of, you know, there are There are Thai jihadists, there are Filipino jihadists, so it, it's not an ethnicity-based thing. You always have to remember that. It's just a question of looking at the percentages in the early stages. But so the guy's name is, as I said, it's Armenian. And so it it would be unlikely, unless he had radicalized, uh, unlikely that he was uh, doing this on behalf of the Islamic State or something like that. Turns out that inclination that I had seems to be correct. Uh, He killed 10 because one of those wounded uh, died in the hospital, injured 14, and From what we understand of uh, of him so far, based on the initial run throughs of his social media profile and uh, of his. Well, just what we know about this Alec Manassian. He was a psychopathic loser. He was a psychopathic loser, Um, had some affinity for that guy. I'm actually oh, Elliot Roger, who was the Santa Barbara shooter. Who was this guy who thought he was? You remember this guy? He made these videos uh, back uh, in 2014. This was a few years ago. He made these videos about how he, you know, he basically couldn't get a girl, and he was so awesome, and all these uh, cretins would get all the beautiful girls that were meant for him, and he he had essentially become this deluded, uh, you know, sexually incompetent lunatic. And he went around on this um, murder spree, the shooting spree, and he tried. He gunned down six people at the University of California, Santa Barbara, before he killed himself. I believe he was the one, Mike, wasn't he the one who tried to get into a sorority, but like the door was locked or something? But he wanted to go on a killing spree in a sorority, UC Santa Barbara, because he was angry that women don't like him. So this is another uh, another type. Another uh, archetype, if you will, of the psychopath here, of the sexually frustrated, malignant narcissist psychopath, right? Somebody who just uh, and, and is deluded and feels like everything's so unfair and just becomes consumed with rage and and becomes uh, becomes evil. Seems that's what um, that's what Manassian says he in in one post on social media according to the daily mail here he referred to the rebellion of incels never heard of this before a term used to refer to men who have been made involuntarily celibate because women will not have sex with them so this guy couldn't you know couldn't uh, get any women to sleep with him and so he went out on this murder spree it seems that that guy i know it's it seems that's what we've got here. I don't know what greater complexity we could add to it. I don't know what else there is to to say about it at this point, other than how, how appalling and evil and disgusting can a human be? Can a human being be? Um, I, you know, he clearly has you know, deep, um, I don't know, deep psychological deficiencies. I mean, he's mentally, obviously, mentally ill in a profound way. But uh, this is something that we've seen now a couple, at least a couple of times. I also think that it manifests itself in societies. This is a little bit of a different discussion, but extreme violence uh, does become a, uh, a a particular problem in societies where there's a tremendous amount of sexual repression. Uh, places where there is a lot of sexual repression are always deeply unhappy and and you tend to have uh, extremes of extremes of violence. Uh, it's obviously true in. Parts of the world ruled by Islamic fundamentalism, but not just there, other places too. Uh, so this is one of those cases where, and by the way, it's important. This is why we don't say, oh, it's clearly ISIS. This is why I said yesterday, ISIS hasn't said it is. We, uh, we look at this as, as, a, as a function of percentages. It is likely, but can't confirm, but it looks like, and the reason we don't confirm, the reason I tell you, we got to see, we got to get more facts. And I was on Shannon Bream show last night on Fox. I said, look, we just don't have the data right now. As a function of probabilities, it looks like it's ISIS inspired, but that's the difference between saying it is and it looks like, or it is and and this is the early stage. I'd also note, though, you see, when you, when you put it in those terms and we, because you always get in this political fight over, oh, do we, you know, are we jumping to conclusions about whether it's terrorism or jumping to conclusions about whether it's Islamic terrorism? I think we work with what we know when we know it. I don't think we pretend to know less than we do just because we don't want feelings to be hurt. And if we get a, if we get ahead of where or if we get it wrong on in an analytic sense, as long as we're basing it on the facts, well, then you adjust the analysis. It's not that hard, right? It's not that crazy. As to how we should cover these events, how we should think about them. Um, and you know, here we have uh, this 25 year old guy who just saw I clearly is aware of how ISIS inspired attacks using vehicles have gone on. And th- this is a big threat. What What do you do? A very frustrating question, understandable question, but a frustrating question that I get. As someone who's worked in counterterrorism in the past, uh, people will say, well, you know, I've been in these discussions. I've sat there in, in conference rooms in CTC of, of the CIA, the Counterterrorism Center. And, you know, how do we prevent this? How do we stop that? How do we work against this? And with vehicle attacks, you got you gotta to stop the attack before it's an attack. That's the only way. That is the only method there is uh, for finding out finding out a uh, an attacker or, or stopping it before it actually happens. So I don't have much more for you on the Toronto attack at this point, other than this guy seems like a psycho who couldn't get a girlfriend, right? And uh, just just was full of hatred and and overcome with uh, envy and rage and. You know, if you want to kill a bunch of people, a car is every bit as effective as any firearm that you'll find if, you know, if you're planning this out and you know the area. and you know, So, terrible day for Canada. I feel badly for our Canadian brothers and sisters up north and uh, thoughts and prayers, but I don't have any analysis for how we can stop it because, honestly, no one does. If you see people going, oh, we know how to stop this. No, they don't. Okay, There's no way to stop this other than find the person as they're radicalizing in whatever their ideology is and take them off the street. Prevent them from being able to get behind that wheel of a car before they try to do it. Once they're in that car, you're in casualty mitigation instead of casualty elimination. Uh, so that's what I have for you on the Toronto attack. If there's more, I'll certainly go to it. Uh, but guy's an evil loser. Uh, I think that's uh, uh, as close to describe, accurate of a description of him as we can have. You know, here's a story courtesy of our uh, friends over at the Daily Wire that, no surprise, mainstream media didn't, didn't want to spend much time on. Um, but, you know, there's a Parkland survivor that they also generally don't want to spend much time on. Uh, Kyle Kashuv, who is uh, pro Second Amendment, but also wants to. I believe he has an app. He, he's come up with some very proactive steps to try and help stop a school shooting. And uh, Kyle's gotten some attention, but not nearly the same degree of uh, platform not the same level of platform that, say, uh, some of the other David Hogg and some of the others have been given by the media. Why? Of course, because he's not saying what they want him to say. But this was this was just astonishing. It really was. Uh, This just happened on Friday so a few days ago. Kyle, on his uh, Twitter account, wrote the following. It was great learning about our inalienable right of the Second Amendment and how to properly use a gun. Um, This was my first time ever touching a gun, and it made me appreciate the Constitution even more. My instructor was very informative. I learned a lot. The Second Amendment is important, and we need to preserve it. So he's at a shooting range. Obviously, everything's completely legal. Getting instruction from a tra- from a you know trained personnel, and he's learning about firearms. You know this guy Kyle Kashuv, this young man who was at the park uh, at the Parkland uh, school shooting, and his dad's there with him. And a lot of you are like, "Yeah, Buck, there with a family member at a gun range." I call this Saturday. But if you are Kyle Kashuv, uh, it's a problem. All of a sudden, here's what the Daily Wire writes: Kashev was quickly called out. We're visiting the gun range and posting about it by a bunch of students at Marjorie Stoneman Douglas High School. But that wasn't the end of the story. When Kyle went to school on Monday, his principal informed him that other students had been upset by his posts, but that he hadn't done anything wrong. According to Kyle, in the min- middle of the morning, events took a different turn. Quote, near the end. This is from Kyle Casham. No, this is what he wrote on, uh, I guess, on Facebook. Near the end of third period, my teacher got a call from the office saying I need to go down and see Mr. Greenleaf. I didn't know Mr. Greenleaf, but it turned out he was an armed school resource officer. I went down and found him. He escorted me to his office. Then a second security officer walked in and sat behind me. Both began questioning me intensely. First, they began berating my tweet, although neither of them had read it. Then they began aggressively asking questions about who I went to the range with, whose gun we used, and about my father. They were incredibly condescending and rude. Then a third officer from the Broward County Sheriff's Office walked in and began asking me the same questions again. At that point, I asked whether I could record the interview. They said no. I asked if I had done anything wrong. Again, they answered no. I asked why I was there. One said, don't get snappy with me. Do you not remember what happened a few months ago? They continued to question me aggressively, though they could cite nothing I had done wrong. They kept calling me the pro-Second Amendment kid. I was shocked and honestly scared. It definitely felt like they were trying to intimidate me. I was treated like a criminal for no reason other than having gone to the gun range and posted about it on social media so that's the way they want the conversation to go now that's the way they want the narrative to be you know if they they want to ostracize gun owners they want to treat people who are law-abiding lawful gun owners who go to a duly you know uh insured and prepared range and you know are shooting there that is now suspect Remember, there's always different ways that they try to go about truncating your Second Amendment rights. They can't get it through the legislature, but they think they are winning the cultural fight against the Second Amendment more now than they have in a long time. They think that they can make guns not just uncool, but they also can bring people who use firearms under suspicion, make their lives more annoying, make their lives more difficult. And that has its own implications for what's possible via the legislature later on. You know, if they can make it that you should be concerned as a parent taking your kid to the range because your kid, as Kyle Kashev was, might get pulled aside and said, what do you mean you're doing at the range? I mean, I think about I should probably post it on Facebook. I mean, there are photos of me with my brothers and my dad. I think I'm 12 years old. Maybe I'm 10. And, you know, we're out there. What are we holding up? Targets from the range. I mean, I'm 10 or 11 years old. You know, yeah, my dad helped me hold the, you know, helped me hold the gun. And everything. It was like a bolt action 22, but you know, started at a young age. You learn firearm safety and nice, uh you know, nice memories with pops and my brothers. I can't imagine what I would have thought if I, as a young guy, you know, especially well. I mean, of K- is like 17, I think, so he's a senior. Uh, but you know, imagine if you were in uh, in grade school and all of a sudden, because you went shooting with your dad over the weekend, which is exactly what Kyle Kasher did. You got brought in by, to the principal's office and there were dudes with guns there who were asking you all kinds of questions. And someone from the police department, the sheriff's department, sitting there asking you questions, too. Would you Would you maybe? Feel, now, and a lot of you are like, yeah, Buck, bring it. The police, you know, I'll be at that PTA meeting and you'll hear some stuff. I, I know, but I'm just saying. This is what they want. They, they want you to have to think about it. They want you to feel weird about it. And people who just don't want to deal with the hassle will be like, oh, you know, maybe I, you know, maybe I'll wait till the kids a little older before I take them to range. Or maybe I won't. You know. You, you see these stories about schools that discipline kids for using their fingers as a gun to go bang, bang for cowboys and Indians and stuff. I mean, this is all it's all happening more and more. You know, it, it infects the culture. This anti-gun animus comes at us from all these different ways. And and the reason they're so obsessed with it has nothing to do with gun violence, as I keep saying. And people get so angry at me for this, and that's why I know I'm right. It's not about gun violence. Because you can look at all the different studies, and we can get our buddy John Lott on, he can tell you the different statistics. It's about guns as a cultural marker for everything else. right? If you support the Second Amendment, there's a very good chance it's you know it's over 75 probably more like 90 percent that you also are you know pro-family pro-life christian you know you go down the whole thing right you go to church on sunday you, you know you're not a vegan you know there's a whole bunch of things good things and if you are anti-gun you know then you look there's a whole other bunch of things you can kind of assume from that right so it's become a essential marker in the culture war and that's why they're trying to come at it from all these different perspectives. But could you imagine if one of the Parkland kids, some of whom have been saying outrageous stuff about how the NRA is. I would not even play it. There was a chant uh, yesterday. Producer Mike, you see this? They were chanting, I guess it's out in San Francisco, you know, NRA, how many kids have you killed today? The answer is Zero. But I don't know. Maybe they need to spend a little more time in math class or something because they seem to keep repeating this chant at the behest of adults, and it's just you know their their usefulness is kind of passing as a as a political uh, prop for the anti gun effort. But they're still going to kind of put it out there. But Kyle Kashev doesn't get any invulnerability in the in the press, and in his own school. He can get harassed and brought in because he went for the crime, which it's not a crime, of going to the range with his dad to fire an AR and learn about the Second Amendment. Just remember, that's that's the way that uh, the country is going in a whole lot of places right now. So we've got to be vigilant about that. Um, can they ban Christian books in California? Not an idle question. We'll tackle that coming up. All right. Welcome back. Uh, you may have seen this uh, story about how Google has banned ads from a Christian publishing house due to its faith based content. Now, we're trying to track this down. I want to look into this a little bit more, but it, it wouldn't surprise me that you have this kind of censorship going on in the past. It's been well, what qualifies as hate speech. Now it's faith based content under scrutiny from the massive social media platforms and the, the titans of Silicon Valley. Uh, but it's not just private enterprise that's engaged in this kind of censorship. There's the very real threat of similar viewpoint discrimination from some state governments, one in particular, California. We've got David French with us now. He is a uh, senior writer at National Review. He's also an attorney and a veteran of uh, war in Iraq. Uh, David, great to have you. Thank you so much for joining us. Tell me about this premise that you've been out there trying to raise the alarm. I know people have been pushing back and you push right back. <laughs> uh, but what's going on with with California possibly banning Christian books?
3: Yeah, well, so it's really a crazy story. So what California has is a consumer fraud statute, like you know, virtually every other uh, state in the union does. And these are not controversial because fraud isn't protected speech under the First Amendment. Consumer fraud isn't protected speech under the First Amendment. So. Consumer fraud statutes are all well, good, and normal, and California's like most, bans the sale of goods and services um, through various fraudulent means, which, again, that's all normal. But they've decided to try to amend the statute to, change, to add a new category that bans the sale of goods, which a good is anything that you can basically carry. It's like everything from a, a hunk of cheese to a book <laughs> and services – that are engaged in what they call sexual orientation change efforts. So this is very strange because it's a directly viewpoint-related uh, application of a consumer fraud statute. And then when you look at the definition of, of sexual orientation change efforts, it includes any effort to change behavior, sexual behavior, or gender identity. And so, in other words, if you've got a book and so, or somebody is selling a book and it's specifically arguing, say, for example, that if you have a nine-year-old who's exhibiting um, signs of gender dysphoria, that you should not call a her by a he or change her or his name or um, have them you know, change their desire to dress and clothing of the opposite gender, that that's consumer fraud. Or that if you have somebody who's trying to uh, leave a, you know, a maybe a sexually active lifestyle and um, bring their behavior in line with Christian teaching that trying to assist them in that endeavor is consumer fraud. It's incredibly broad. And because it applies to goods, it would apply even to books that are used in that effort. And so it's, it's one of the more alarming First Amendment. Um, threats i've seen in some
1: time well can, can you explain to us david what does the california state legislature in so you're talking about what it could do what do they intend to do with this are, are they trying to ban uh like you know uh, uh, what programs that might be sold i don't know uh D- dvds or online programs or something that can convince people that transgenderism is, is not real or something what are they what's the intent of this california law
3: well, if you listen to the, the authors of it, and they've written a very broad and, and uh, badly written bill, they say that what they intend to do is ban reparative therapy for money. In other words, that nobody can charge money for what they call reparative therapy. And traditionally, reparative therapy is an idea that you can change someone's sexual orientation. In other words, their, their romantic or sexual desire for a person of the same sex that Has been the traditional definition of, of reparative therapy, but they've gone way beyond that traditional definition, even to arguments about behavior, or to arguments about gender identity. And so, what they did is they took this bill, which would be unconstitutional anyway, because you couldn't ban uh, reparative therapy when you're dealing with, con- you know, adults who are who are seeking that kind of uh, that kind of counseling. Um, knowing full well what it is and what you know and what the risks are, if any, and so th- they've taken something that they advertise as quite limited to this reparative therapy for profit or for money, and they've actually applied it to a sweeping category of speech that includes just standard arguments about Christian sexual morality.
1: We're speaking to David French. He's a senior writer for National Review. Check out his latest on National Review dot com. He's also a veteran, a veteran of uh, Operation Iraqi Freedom. Uh, D- David, by the have they left this law so open ended in your estimation? And you're also an attorney uh, in California with the idea that they will narrow it, or do you think that they kind of like leaving it out there for interpretation and maybe they'll expand <laughs> the scope of their authority a little bit?
3: Well, I think they're leaving it out there intentionally because they have been warned about this amply in, t- in testimony in front of the California Assembly. That people have been sounding the alarms, so they know the sweeping scope of this. But what's so alarming is they're deceiving the public when they try to explain it. But every now and then, some of these guys are actually saying what they mean. For example, there was in a California legislature on the uh, assembly floor in the debate over the bill who said that Christian beliefs need to evolve with the times. Well, he's certainly free as a citizen to argue that Christian beliefs should quote evolve with the times, but the state of California does not have the constitutional authority to force Christian beliefs to evolve with the times. But again, this is a state, let's let's not forget, that Just was in the Supreme Court last month with oral arguments over their previous effort to force crisis pregnancy centers, pro-life crisis pregnancy centers, to advertise for free and low-cost abortion. So this is not a state that necessarily respects First Amendment rights when it conflicts with the sexual revolution.
1: I want to ask you also about this uh, piece from earlier this morning. I saw it up on Fox. I was making the rounds about the possibility of some conservative justices getting put on the Ninth Circuit, or as some of your friends and mine uh, on TV refer to it, the Ninth Circus. Uh, <laughs> do, do you think that's you think that's going to going to happen? And will that have a major impact?
3: Well, it's going to happen if if uh, the president appoints and the Senate. Um, continues its prior practice of confirming all of his his qualified appointees. I mean, you know, one of the problems you have in the Ninth Circuit is you have some of these states with Democratic senators, and there's been traditionally a, a deference to the senators in these states, but that traditional deference to senators has been predicated on good faith, and a lot of the decisions to withhold senatorial approval of Republican nominees of late have not necessarily been in good faith. And so I think it's important for the Trump administration um, to push through as many uh, highly qualified uh, judicial appointees as possible. And if possible, pick up the pace on it, because we don't know what's going to happen in the midterm election.
1: David, coming up in just a few minutes, I'm going to be addressing the uh, Alfie Evans case. We've only got about a minute here, but I want to just get your take on on what you think about this case in the U.K., where uh, a 23-month-old boy is being denied care and and told, his parents are being told, no one's allowed to give him care.
3: You know, it's, it's vile. I mean, I, 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 I've been having trouble following the story, not, not because of inattention, but because it's so, it's so dreadful. It's so heartbreaking. You just don't even want to read about it. It's so heartbreaking. And it just strikes you as malicious. It's just a raw exercise of state authority over a family. When here you have the nation of Italy willing to provide care, and so far, the nation of Great Britain denying that opportunity. Why? Why? It's not a loss of resources to Great Britain to allow Italy to care for this kid. It just seems like the raw exercise of power. And I promise you, if if uh, this country starts to go down the route of government-controlled health care... Um, we're not far we behind. Remember. That's what
1: I want everyone to know. We're, we're not far behind this. Uh, and and it, I agree with you, David. It's spiteful. And I'm going to get into the details. It's spiteful by the U.K. government... Uh, but everyone should read David's piece. And this California bill, take a look at it. They they will ban Christian books if they can. David French, everybody, National Review. David, thank you so much for joining us.
3: Thanks for having me. I appreciate it.
1: Team, we're going to talk about this Alfie uh, Evans case in just a few minutes. So stay right there. Uh,
2: Mr. President, what about Michael Cohen? Are, are, are you considering oh, thank a you very of, much. <laughs> <laughs> Stupid question. Go ahead. Anybody else, please? Stupid question.
1: <laughs> we should have that as a drop, by the way. Stupid question. Eh, we should have it ready just in case, you know. Someone calls in, they're getting a little sassy. It's dropped the John, can we cut the, just that part out for stupid question. I like that. So that was in that was Trump today in response to uh, what was that? Jonathan Carl of ABC. Usually I see, I would have thought it was Acosta. I feel like Acosta has really carved out a good brand for being the most egregious and annoying anti-Trump grandstander of the White House press corps. So now, I, I you know, he he's kind of the he's kind of first in class when it comes to being the most annoying guy in the West Wing. You know, so I, I get a little surprised when it's somebody else. But before I get into the broader discussion here about how much. Oh, wait, that was a wait. That was a Trump slap. We should come up with a special noise for it. But let's use the buck slap for now, because it absolutely. Yeah. There you go. Trump slap. Uh, but. Think about how stupid that question is for a moment. This is a White House press conference, okay? And you're there. You're getting paid real money. You're supposed to be a professional. You're supposed to know what the heck you're talking about. And yet, here we are with a very—he uh, used to be, didn't he? Used to be with Fox. Jonathan Carl. Am I crazy? He's with ABC, right now. Was he ever with Fox? I'm, I, I might. Maybe I'm confused. No, that's Carl Cameron. That's Carl Cameron is who that is. I'm, I'm getting him confused. Pardon me with that. Anyway, this guy's a, uh, you know, he's a he's a big J journalist. He's asking about the consideration of a pardon for someone who has not even been charged with a crime. Now, now that's about as dumb a question as I think. I mean, Trump is right. It was a very, very dumb question. It's about as bad as it's going to get, but just... look at it as a perfect way to uh, understand how they play the game. No reasonable person would ever come to the conclusion that you should ask the president of the United States if he's going to pardon someone, use the presidential power of the pardon, who has not even been charged with a crime. You know, this is even going beyond, you know, it's, it's instead of saying to somebody, when did you stop beating your wife? It's like, what did you do now that you have stopped beating your wife going forward? Right, it just it it takes it even deeper down the rabbit hole of of stupidity. Uh, so I'm glad that Trump gave him a slapdown, but it also goes in with this whole storyline that Variety, which is a a magazine that I thought covered Hollywood, right? Doesn't isn't it mostly about Hollywood stuff, movies? Uh, but Variety put out a piece inside the intense. I guess it's like Playboy. There, you know, you come. You come for the uh, the actors and and you, you 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 stay for the political analysis. You know, Playboy. You there are there are actually some pretty good essayists that have been published in Playboy. So I am told. Okay, not place. Come on. I, mean, I grew up in the nineties. Nobody was Playboy was like an artifact that people would we we'd hear stories about how like our dads had this magazine and you know didn't really exist. Um, although it did used to, they used to sell it. Look at how much America has changed. They used to sell Playboy magazine and Penthouse in the subway newsstands. So there I'd be a little young buck, you know, 12 years old and there's naked boobies staring at me. You know what I mean? What kind of world were we living in? John and Mike, you know, it was crazy and I'm just trying to go to my little Catholic school and there's. You know, Jenny McCarthy up there. Yeah, I remember that. Jenny McCarthy up there on the newsstand. I'm trying to find the Wall Street Journal, obviously. And my eyes are being misled to the cover of some magazine of, of ill repute. Anyway, so Variety has this piece, Inside the Intense Combative World of Covering the Trump White House. And I just have to laugh. I mean, there's all this stuff about how uh, how hard it is uh, for these correspondents in the White House and how uh, <laughs> how, how, there's... All, the, 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 it's basically a big pity party in this article. Uh, you've got Acosta in the article, obviously. April Ryan, um, who's saying, quote, I actively get death threats just for asking a question. I have law enforcement on speed dial. Uh, you know, death threats are terrible and they're illegal. I... I Can't think of a prominent conservative journalist I know who hasn't gotten death threats. And I know conservatives who have gotten attacked just for like actually physically attacked just for being conservative. But you see this highlighted on the left, not on the right. The whole notion, though, that the White House press corps is in this uh, state of siege. It's just complete nonsense. They are leveraging this for their brands. They are literally making money off of this. Uh, They're increasingly in a position where their social media accounts are getting more and more attention and uh, they have greater leverage vis-a-vis other employers and more offers. And this is brand enhancing. They want to be at the pinnacle of the hashtag resistance as journalists, but they also want to be victims at the same time. They want it it both ways. They want the the public to go, oh, it's so hard for Jim Acosta to be up there asking a tough question to the president. Well, they also uh, want, yeah, that's right, Acosta, get in there, take it to him, show him who's boss against the president of the United States. Uh, there is nothing about Trump's media fights that at this point I- I'm I'm not kind of in favor. I-, I think his fighting with the media is one of the best things that he does. It is not just highly entertaining, and it absolutely is. I don't pretend that it's not. It's incredibly entertaining, but on top of that, uh, it. For many of us who for eight years had to sit there, mouths wide open, eyes bleary with disbelief as the press was, you know, Obama, yeah, you're shredding the Constitution and you're doing all kinds of things that, you know, like pulling the phone records of journalists and throwing them in prison. But you're so wonderful and you're such a genius. And we just want to thank you for being such an amazing, wonderful genius. After eight years of that. To be in a position where that same press corps is now getting flying elbows from the top buckle, so to speak. Remember that? Remember back in the old days? I, I, used to, I watched a lot of WWF growing up. Now it's WWE. Which reminds me, i got to watch the Andre the Giant uh, documentary. People say it's really good. Total side note, non sequitur. Uh, but the press corps is a bunch of whiny babies right now. If They think that what's going on with Trump is such a big deal, such a bad thing for them. We all know it's a good thing for them. It is career-enhancing. If I were the rep, which is uh, insider, you know, West Coast speak or East Coast speak too. sorry, coastal speak for being somebody's agent. If I were the reps, I would be like, this is great for you. Keep it going because you're already not a journalist. You're a pundit pretending to be a journalist. Not the same thing. So uh, I have I'm shedding no tears for them. Uh, no tears at all. Buck Sexton.
0: Permission. Decoding the news and disseminating information with actionable intelligence. One small thing. Make, make no mistake. America, ready. Great. You're a great American. Again. This is the Buck Sexton Show. Activate.
2: Former CIA
0: analyst. Former member of the NYPD. Buck Sexton. It is Buck Sexton. Now. This talk to asylum, hopefully being prepared, I can't guarantee anything, but... He said I was right when I said that no one has the right to take any children away or any anyone in general away from their loved ones apart from God. The, the, the Pope realised and I'm hoping the world will realize that just because you have a poor brain scan it doesn't mean you have to die on the doctors say so. We all die in our own way and we'll all die naturally and that's all I want for my son and that's all Kate wishes for, for him to die in his own way, not to be murdered on to be suffocated by a hospital that can't diagnose him and have failed him.
1: That was Thomas Evans, the father of a 23-month-old baby boy, Alfie Evans, who has a degenerative neurological disorder that has now brought him to a point where he perhaps has hours to live. He's been taken off of life support, and we are any moment now likely to hear That young Alfie has passed away. This is over the objections of his parents, however, who want to take him for emergency medical help at the Vatican's own pediatric hospital. The Vatican and the Pope have taken an interest in trying to help Alfie Evans. And the UK authorities, British judges, have decided that Alfie Evans's parents don't get the right to seek a cure or any help whatsoever for their son. A court in the UK earlier today decided that Alfie Evans has one right at this point and one right only, and that is to die. It's a deeply troubling case and goes to many of the core objections that we as conservatives have about an all-too-powerful, Federal or national level government in the UK, the government will step in in cases like this and decide that it acts in the best interests of the child, not the parents who love the child and who are desperate to do anything in their power to give it hope to give the child perhaps a cure or even just a few more months, a few more weeks of life on this earth. But I want to be very clear, and this is reminiscent of the Charlie Gard case from a while ago. Charlie Gard was a young boy who was in a similar situation in the U.K., and he has since passed away. But this isn't that the U.K. government is saying we won't pay for some experimental treatment. It's not that the U.K. government is saying... Just that there's nothing more they can do for the boy, although they have said that. And the Alder Hay Hospital, where he's being held, has thrown up their hands and is essentially just waiting for uh, the young boy Alfie to die. But the courts and the government in the United Kingdom, where you do have a national health service, everyone, you have nationalized health care. They've decided that no one else is allowed To try and help Alfie Evans that even the intercession of the Pope, which has occurred here, the Pope himself has weighed in and wants to help provide assistance to Alfie Evans. That does not move the authorities in the UK. They are telling outsiders here that no one is allowed to try and save Alfie at this point, who clearly has nothing to lose and his life to gain. In the process the UK has said you aren't allowed to help this boy he is only young Alfie Evans is only allowed to die they've taken him off life support he is slowly being starved and quite honestly going through a process that could only be described as a slow physician assisted suicide courtesy of the National Health Service in the United Kingdom and as his dad uh, Thomas Evans said at the, at the start of the segment, the authorities have already failed Alfie Evans. They can't diagnose him at the Alder Hay Hospital where he's held. They have no treatment options available for him. They've been able to do nothing for him. And yet they claim the absolute certainty of knowing that a boy that is days, perhaps hours from dying is better off just being allowed to die than getting the possible treatment offered to him in Italy. The Vatican, the Italian government, they've sent a plane. A plane is sitting on standby right now. They have emergency medical personnel in place ready to do everything they can for Alfie Evans. And the UK government says no. They say no. Alfie uh, was... Breathing on his own earlier today had been given some oxygen, but his life support has been turned off. <sighs> I and mean, this is deeply troubling. Uh, there's also a lot of security around this. The proceedings in court were treated like there was some kind of a, a, a terrorist who was appearing before the judge. They were searching people. I and mean, the UK is really trying to make some kind of bizarre point here about who's really in charge. And the answer, my friends, in most of the world, when it comes to who's in charge, you or the government, is the government. This is an important reminder for all of us here in the United States, where we have the strongest tradition of any major country of individual rights and individual liberty, that this is a constant battle that we have to wage. When you have parents who are told that the state is has a better sense of the interests of a child that the state has already failed and already abandoned, mind you. You know that statism and authoritarianism are all too real, even in a developed westernized country, our own uh, grandfather country, if you will, the United Kingdom. You also have the hubris of the medical profession here where I could sit and talk to you at length about the history of conventional wisdom, not just within the scientific community, that was blatantly wrong, but the history of conventional wisdom within the medical community that really until the 20th century was responsible for a lot more harm than good. One of the great ironies of the uh, Hippocratic corpus, the text from which we get the Hippocratic Oath, is that a Hippocratic approach to medicine overall Forget about just the do no harm, uh, but the multifaceted, it's all connected approach uh, for a long time in history was actually counterproductive. I wonder how many of these doctors who can't even say what is afflicting Alfie Evans in the UK. I wonder how many of them know the history of their own city of London when it came to cholera. Do you know that until the mid 19th century, the entire medical profession in London at that point, the most advanced city in the world, was convinced that cholera, which essentially comes from human feces in the water supply, was the result of bad smells in the air. Miasmas, they called it. And well into the middle of the 19th century, in the 1850s, 1860s, it was believed in London that the cholera outbreaks that would happen near and around the Thames River, were the result of those bad smells. Occasionally a doctor would come along who said, Hold on a second, if you look at how this disease spreads, it's clear that it's the water supply, it's not stinky air, you idiots, that is causing outbreaks that would kill thousands and thousands of people. But they would shut him down. The science was settled, you see. Until we had an understanding of microbiology, the medical profession was under the very mistaken belief that cholera and other waterborne pathogens were the result of bad air. Miasmas, as I said. And there's still plenty that doctors don't know. It's hard not to come away from this Alfie Evans case and feel like there is something of an arrogance that has overtaken the medical profession involved with this in the UK, that Alder Hay, Alder Hay's staff, And the various physicians assigned to this case don't want to be shown up and shown that they are wrong. And I don't want to hear about how it prevents the suffering of this child to have to travel. They have a jet waiting for him and highly trained medical personnel. The Italian government has offered him citizenship. We are talking about a 23-month-old baby that needs amnesty to go to Italy to leave the UK and escape the grips of the National Health Service there that has decided the only thing that anyone is allowed to do for 23-month-old Alfie Evans is watch him slowly die. Make no mistake about it. This can happen just across the Atlantic in a country that is quite close to us in its history and also its culture and its law. Our own common law comes from England. It's not far off from being a reality here, too. So remember this today. There's very little coverage of it will happen in the media Alfie Evans is being denied a right to fight for his life. His parents are being denied the right to fight for his life. The Pope and the Italian government are being denied the ability to try and help this child because government bureaucrats say so.
2: I've spoken about Kanye West um, so much early on in my career here. I've said that he is the only person that is in hip hop or that has a public stage that is willing to think independently. I do not subscribe to groupthink. I think independently. I'm a free thinker, Mm -hmm. and I don't believe that because I have a certain skin tone that I absolutely have to subscribe to all these ideas, which on paper do not make any sense whatsoever. If you've been following Kanye West's career, Kanye West has always been an outlier in terms of having his own mind and thinking his own thoughts. They told Kanye that he couldn't be in fashion, so he created an entire brand. They told Kanye <laughs> that he couldn't like him, so he married her. Okay, so this is no surprise whatsoever. This is who Kanye West is fundamentally, a free
0: thinker.
1: Now, uh, that was that was Candace Owen talking about she's getting a lot of a lot of play in the media right now because Kanye West said he likes the way she thinks. We had Candace on the show, as I mentioned to you, about a, about a year ago, uh, and now she's getting all kinds of attention for speaking her mind. And that's all great. I, I do feel though, like there's a part of me that wants to just take a step back though. We as conservatives, and this has nothing to do with Candace. She's great. This is totally separate. This is about Kanye. We need to not get quite so excited whenever somebody who happens to be a celebrity says something even a little bit conservative. I'm not saying it's, you can't point out and say, Oh, I like what Kanye said. Of course I'm doing that here on the show. But now there's, like, this whole movement that, look, I'm joking when I say that Kanye is the great philosopher of our time, all right? Immanuel Kant, he is not. But the guy's got some, some cool, catchy songs. You know, I like, I like some of his funky beats. He's got some good tunes. I do have some of them on my, I was going to say some of my iPod. I really, such a child of the early 2000s here now, you know? I've got it on my shuffle. You remember the shuffle? Yeah, when that thing came out, I was like, life changer, bro. It was so small, and you just click and listen to the different songs. It could hold like 100 songs. Uh, it was amazing. You know, actually, the, the original iPod, because it's basically a hard drive just for music, They, I don't know if it's still true, but they, went, they be, went through a period where you could actually pay a lot for them online on eBay. They became collector's items because you could have your whole music library on them, whereas now... For a lot of people, unless you're using a cloud service, it takes up too much on your on your hard drive. So people kind of like the original iPod. It could store like 30,000 songs or something crazy like that, and that's all it does, right? It's like me on radio. It's a lean, mean machine devoted to one purpose and one purpose only. It cannot be reasoned with, and it will never stop. Uh, anyway, so sh- we, we shouldn't get so excited about this because inevitably the celebrity in question is going to then say something that that all of a sudden we're like, I don't really like that, you know, so just give it some time and Kanye's going to be like, you know, yeah, I like I like socialized medicine and everyone's going to say, well, you know, he was good on the whole free speech stuff, but look, it's fine. I'm just telling you, don't go too far the pathway of thinking that uh, or, or embracing a celebrity for a limited range of commentary too much. So there's that because I didn't even get to mention it on the show uh, yesterday. I meant to, but I had so much else going on in my mind here. But you know, singer Shania Twain has had sh- she has made well, really only one mistake, although she's had two missteps for her public persona. I'm just gonna say, it, by the way, do we think Shania Twain is a particular? You know, man, I feel like a woman. Very, uh, very commercially successful. I've seen her on a lot of commercials but I've also never been at a party where somebody was like, you know what we really need right now, bro? You know what would... We know what would get this place lit? Shania Twain. Is she the... You're still the one I love... I'm not going to sing because everyone's going to turn off the, the radio, but she's the... You're still the one I love... Right, that... Yeah. I remember when I was younger. I mean, she was quite lovely. There was that. Uh, when uh, In the MTV days, when, when that sort of thing, you would see it all over the place. But she had the... The temerity, now she's a Canadian, so there's that. But she had the temerity to come out and say uh, that she would have voted for Trump because, quote, even uh, even though he was offensive, he seemed honest. Do you want straight or polite? Not that you shouldn't be able to have both. If I were voting, I don't want BS. I would have voted for a feeling that it was transparent, and politics has a reputation of not being that, right? ooh she said that and then over the weekend she had to come out and say that uh, quote i would like to apologize to anybody i have offended in a recent interview with the guardian relating to the american president the question caught me off guard as a canadian i regret answering this unexpected question without giving my response more context all right let, let me say this you never apologize folks to the outrage mob this is You only apologize if you as a human being truly believe that you have erred. You have to now stand your ground because the left has adopted the King Joffrey approach to the public apology. Those who don't know in Game of Thrones, huge spoiler here. So la la la, you know, earmuff yourself right now if you haven't seen Game of Thrones. Uh, But the guy admits to his treason to get mercy and then he gets his head cut off, right? That's the way the left does it now. You no longer go out there, John. Did I just ruin Game of Thrones for you? I'm sorry, but you don't go out there and apologize because then you get, you get the disdain and all the downside. Right now, they just think you're weak. It's also so crazy. Who gets mad at a country music singer for saying she would have voted for Trump? I mean, this is, this is like you know my friend Tony, the plumber from New Jersey. Who's like, I would have voted for Trump. I'm like, exactly. You're a capitalist, a hardworking American. This is no surprise to me. Why is it surprising a country music? You know, it's not like a a PhD in women's and gender studies from the the University of the Northwest or something. Is that even a place? I just made that up. Uh, Sounds like a university, though, right? Sounds like a place where they'd have one of those crazy protests that we'd make fun of here on the show. But it's not like someone like that came out or... Some uh you know big left wing Hollywood celebrity, I mean if country music stars Canadian or not can't come out and say they 'd vote for Trump, who can so just i I wanted to give you a little bit note of caution here before we all get too excited about one celebrity oh my gosh i'm actually you've actually on the five earlier today they had uh Trump and Kanye side by side. This is really catching on I, I, look i I celebrate Kanye. Not his whole catalog, because some of his songs are... T- if you saw the thing with him and Kim Kardashian on a motorcycle on YouTube, by the way, not for the kids, but yeah, haunting in a bad way. And you know what I'm talking about. I mean, Kanye's had some big misses. He's had some monumental, not good stuff that's, that he's put out there. But he's put out some good stuff. I like some of his interesting quips on Twitter, some of his philosophy. But just everyone, I'm just saying, pump the brakes a little bit on the celebrity love. When it comes to their political beliefs, because they're going to break your heart if you get too attached. Uh, We got to roll into a a quick break here. When we come back, I have amazing news for you, courtesy of France, but it's a program we should implement here in the States. We'll be right back. Vive la France, my friends. Yes, Emmanuel Macron, he is in Washington, D.C. He is hanging with the president, no? He's in the Rose Garden, no doubt, smoking the Galois. Staring at your wives, staring at any of the ladies, and uh, being very French. But France is in the news for another reason right now, and let's give them a little props. Play it for me, John. Now in France, it will no longer be acceptable for the. Oh no, the why do you cut off so quickly? We're not gonna. It's the. the Merci beaucoup, monsieur. There is a study of now that France will ban the use of meat-like terms in the packaging for vegetarian food. La résistance against the vegetarian is winning, monsieur. Fantastique. No, this is for real, everybody. You will... Uh, all right, now we're, we're... Thank you, John. DJ John's having some fun in there. Uh, you will no longer... And we should follow in their footsteps here. I'm not going to lie to you. Once or twice I've decided that, uh, uh, I, I, you know, I, I've picked something out of the frozen section and I thought it looked like it was a delicious, you know, barbecue something or other or a burger, a burrito of some kind. And I didn't notice the funky spelling of chicken. You know, they'll do C-H-Y-K-N. And I'm like, maybe, you know, Everyone makes typos. Everyone makes mistakes. And then you bite into it and you're like, what is this sponge like tasteless glue blob that I have and, and why are they calling it chicken with a Y or, uh, you know, calling it a the whole notion of a veggie burger, by the way, is like a pacifist action movie. It cannot exist. It cannot be. There's no such thing as a veggie burger. And therefore, there's no such thing. Or well, there's no such thing as a lot of these others. In France, I'm giving them props here because they deserve it. Merci beaucoup, Monsieur Sexton. You are fantastique. Vegetarian and vegan foods uh, will be banned from using terms such as vegetarian sausage, vegetarian bacon, vegan bacon. That's right. It's not Bacon. You may call it vegan bacon, but what you're really saying is I like to lie about this vegetarian thing you're eating. You're not fooling anybody. Yeah, producer Mike is looking at me. There's nothing. If you could make something that was made of veggies on this, on God's great earth, that wasn't made of bacon, you'd be a, you'd be a billionaire. You'd be smacking Jeff Bezos with rolls of thousand dollar bills. You'd be walking around making it rain hundos just for the fun of it all day long. But it's impossible. It is scientifically impossible. It cannot be done. And I'm just excited. I, I give a high five to a member of parliament, Jean-Baptiste Moreau. Doesn't he sound like a guy that wears a top hat and carries a cane everywhere? Oh, mais oui, Jean-Baptiste Moreau is so French. Uh, but he said that soya and tofu products cannot be... Cannot be marketed as any kind of milk or butter. This is a huge victory, people. No more soy milk. The Europeans are ahead of us on this one. I'm just going to say it. I'm just going to come out and let you know what's real here. Soy milk is not a thing. Milk is delicious. As you know from Ron Swanson, skim milk is water that's lying about being milk. But soy milk is really soy drink. If you want that stuff, that's fine. I mean, I can't stop you from pouring out the basin above your toilet and using that as drinking water, I think it's a bad idea. Technically, it's separate from the bowl, but I can't stop you, right? If you want to drink soy drink, that's up to you, but don't defame milk in the process. So the French are, are really up to something here. They're, they're right. Uh, they say that no one's ever really fooled by it. Think about it. Who are they trying to fool? Vegetarians... Are all I mean, and don't even get me started on vegans. Vegan is like millennial for communists now. I mean, vegans are radical, and you know they they know that what they're eating is not like tofurkey is not really a thing. So is it just to make them feel more socially acceptable around others? Like if I were vegetarian, heaven forbid, I'd be like, "That's right, I'm rocking out with some beets and some celery sticks." If I feel really wild, maybe I'll have some porcini mushroom, son. Like, you got to own it. You got to lean into it. Don't be like, my porcini mushroom tastes just like a cheeseburger. False. Four Pinocchios. Your porcini mushrooms do do not taste anything like a cheeseburger. Don't, you know, Buck, don't play that. Don't try that nonsense. So I think we really need to start something here. We need to get rid of all this. No more of these... uh, these mess ups when i'm trying to buy stuff in the frozen aisle and i see something and look don't even make it look good i mean it's just false advertising across the board there should be a section that has meat a section that is for vegetarians and another section for people that are super into not having fun in life for the vegans and that's it that's that you know it should be clearly marked and you should call it whatever it is you You call it your veggie patty but don't call it a veggie burger the french are right we pay them homage monsieur so there you have it oh no it's time for roll call now so you cannot go anywhere because this is like everyone's favorite part of the show stay with me the show ain't over yet
0: folks here's where you take over Keeping it real. Team Buck, it's time for Roll Call.
1: Remember, if you want to be a part of Roll Call, my friends, facebook.com slash bucksection or official Buck at gmail.com. First up here, we have Peter who writes, uh, Buck, sorry I got behind on the podcast. Work spoils my Buck fix. I know what that's like, Peter. Next time you plan on San Diego, please reach out. I'll get you a behind-the-scenes, up-close, and personal tour of the zoo. It's amazing to see. Shields high. Well, Peter, that actually sounds awesome, and I 100% want to take you up on that. It'd be great if I could bring Miss Molly. I'd get all kinds of brownie points. I mean, short of getting her like backstage passes to see T-Swift somewhere. I think Miss Molly would be uh, super excited or almost as excited about like hanging with some baby pandas. Maybe I don't know what they have at the San Diego zoo, but I'm sure there's some very cool, very cute animals. Uh, I love animals. When I was a little kid, I used to go around telling people that I wanted to be an animal conservationist. I was so young. I couldn't spell. I literally couldn't spell conservationist. But I just knew that I liked animals a lot. And uh, later on, I found out that uh, conservationists don't make a lot of money. Uh, So I decided that as much as maybe living in the wilds of the Himalayas looking for snow leopards looked cool on TV, uh, it's it's a tough, tough go. So I didn't want to go that route. Next up here, we have Julian. Hey, Buck, I'm a podcast listener. I'm a little behind, but I heard your take on Kellyanne Conway talking to Donna Bash. Isn't it funny how the left says Hillary lost the election because women listen to their husbands and sons about who to vote for? Yet the minute Kellyanne's opinion is different from her husband's, CNN jumps all over it. I thought they were all for women being independent and thinking for themselves. Just my two cents from over here in rural New Jersey. Well, Julian, uh, I, I obviously think there's a big double standard at work. That's just how CNN does things. It's a shame. I think it used to actually really do. I, I think it used to make a good faith effort at being down the middle as much as possible. Not perfectly so. Always a little bit left skewing. But now it's just might as well rebrand itself as a Hillary pack with a media wing. Uh, Brandon next up here writes, I'm not in Helmand province, uh, but I am under CENTCOM right now and have yet to miss a podcast, even if delayed a few days. I missed the history deep dives. Your history podcasts were on par with Mike Duncan's History of Rome. I want to listen when I'm PTing or doing busy work. Semper Fi from Brandon. Uh, Oh, also Brandon adds in, to monetize the history podcast, think of doing a fundraiser story every few months. We'll keep you in business. I recommend the history on Byzantium or British history podcast models. Brandon, not a bad idea at all. First of all, thank you for your service, and thanks for the note. I really wanted to do the history podcast, but I just have uh, I got so many projects I'm working on right now, and I got to pay the bills here in the Freedom Hut, too. You know, we got, I got a staff. We got we got airtime here. We got stuff we got to do. But it is a labor of love. I will get back to it. It just might have to be piecemeal. We're thinking about it. Uh, I'm also going to be launching a different podcast that we're talking about this week that will be a once weekly and it just be kind of a behind the scenes like if we were all hanging out on Buck's tiny terrace here in New York City, drinking, say, some G4 tequila, as I am known to do. Uh, what would the discussion be like? Although it'll just be me kind of talking to all of you. Uh, we got a name for it. We're going to launch it soon. But it'll be a little bit of a of a Buck unfiltered Buck behind the scenes. And that'll be a once weekly. Um, and if we can get that up and running and, and get enough folks uh, subscribing to it, downloading it, uh, that'll also help with returning to Shields High, which... I was a one-man band on it. I tell people that in this business, and they, they're like, you got to be kidding me. How do you do all the research? And I'm like, my old dusty books, obviously. So there is that. Uh, Seth is next up here, and he writes, love the podcast. Uh, Buck, you weren't lying when you said Miss Molly was quite a looker. Nice job, bro. Anyway, God bless and shields high uh, from Seth. Well, Seth, thank you, and I'm going to pass that along. To uh, Miss Molly, who is quite lovely and a very, very sweet person, a very sweet young lady. And she's always asking, how is how is the team doing, Buck? And I said, all the team is good. They send their love. Uh, next up, we get Monica here who writes voting present. Obama did it over one hundred and thirty times as a state senator.
0: Shields high.
1: Well, Monica, you are correct. You get zero Pinocchios on that when Obama did vote present many, many times Uh, And then became president for eight years. Uh, William writes, quote, I'm going to make him work to kill me. Best real life quote since less. Let's roll James Shaw, Jr., a real man. This guy is a ninja. Uh, William, I totally agree. That guy, uh, he stepped up and he did what was necessary to survive and was a hero in the process. And so it's a reminder to all of us. And I agree with you, by the way, I'm going to make him work to kill me. And that should be a mantra that they teach people in any of these uh, extreme situation survival courses, self-defense courses, because that has to be your attitude. Uh, you can never, you know, to borrow from Churchill, you know, never, 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 never give in. Right. You cannot give in. Uh, and there are some situations where you will be told even by experts, uh, for example, one of them is you never get in the trunk of a car if someone's trying to kidnap you or if someone's trying to take you to another location. Nope, you fight. Because once you're in the trunk of the car, they have complete control of the situation, and you're probably not getting out of there alive. Uh, so you fight. You never, ever get in the trunk. Uh, that's just a, a rule. You can put that on the rule of, uh, of Buck Wisdom. Gardner writes next here, I love your show. Nice Die Hard reference thrown in tonight as well. Come out to the coast. we we'll get together. Have a few laughs. It's always fun to work in a Die Hard reference whenever you can. It is, in fact, the greatest Christmas movie of all time. Uh, John writes, hey, Buck, I was just listening to your breakdown of the relaunch of Roseanne, and I couldn't help but notice the description of the theoretical show which you wished was around to depict a healthy conservative family. Uh, Perfectly described the show Last Man Standing with Tim Allen. You should check it out sometime. Another right-leaning show is The Ranch with Aston Kutcher and Sam Elliott. Um, I will check it out, John. A few other folks have given me the recommendation of Last Man Standing. I know Tim Allen's a very talented guy. Interesting life story, too. Uh, I haven't seen The Ranch with Aston uh, Ashton Kutcher, but I will uh, also... You know what? I'm actually... Instead of just saying this, I have a list of TV shows that I want to get to, and I am, I'm adding it on air right now. The Ranch and Last Man Standing. For those of you who are wondering what else is on my list here, Legion, uh, The Americans, which I've seen a couple of episodes of, and I'm trying to get through more, Battlestar Galactica, which I know people make fun of for being a little nerdy, but I have super brilliant nerd friends who say that it's an incredible show, so I would like to uh, check it out. One thing is I watched the pilot, and it seemed like the pilot of Battlestar Galactica relied on like a, a miniseries that came before it and I couldn't find the miniseries can one of you Battlestar Galactica super nerds out there and I say that with love send me a note on Facebook and tell me if I need to watch a prequel or something because when I tried to download off of iTunes Battlestar Galactica it there was stuff that had already happened I'm like wait what I, this is episode one why am I missing something Uh, Legion, Outlander, The Americans, Battlestar Galactica, The Ranch, Last Man Standing, Longmire, I'm already watching, but that's on here. I've been getting through some of that. Uh, That's my... uh, Oh, and The Terror on AMC. Those are my shows that I am either just starting to watch or hoping to watch soon. So you can give me more recs on that if you like. Uh, We have... Next up here, Donna, who writes... Buck, I love your show, but I'm really missing being able to listen live. I was able to hear your online station a couple times last week on iHeart, but today it's not working. Uh, It's just not consistent like it used to be. Hopefully this will be remedied soon. Missing you live, Donna, Original Saturday Squad. Well, Donna, I obviously want to get this fixed. We'll we'll take a look and see if there's an issue with the stream uh, of the show. And remember, wherever you are, guys, if you're out of radio range or if you uh, just can't, uh, if you just can't actually you know get to your radio station you can always listen if you have cell service or uh internet access and you can go to bucksexton.com and just click there we have a live stream of it there or if you want uh, you can listen on the iHeartRadio app so there and there's always the podcast on itunes as another uh another thing to throw in there so there you have it um That's what I've got going on. Uh, What else do we have? And thank you so much, Donna, for listening, by the way. I very much appreciate it. Uh, We have... I got one more here. Uh, Thomas writes, Buck, I think the next item on Devin Nunes' to-do list will be to find the link for message traffic between... Wait, what? And the DNC, the Obama administration that evaded normal channels. Huh? Okay, this is a long one, Thomas. Let me, uh, <laughs> this is going to have to go in the read file for later. Um, so so that's it uh, from the hut for tonight, my friends. Thank you so much for being here with me. An honor and a privilege. Uh, I'll be back with you, obviously, tomorrow, next day, next day after that. Please do pass around the word about the show. Uh, tell folks to download the podcast. If they can't get me on radio, they can always get it on podcast or through the ways we discussed. Already excited to be hanging out with you tomorrow. But until then, you know your orders. Shield time.